going to start over in Psalm 71. So if you open your Bible to Psalm 71, and we, we want to teach a, a lesson that's a little different. I don't know that in all my life I've ever even heard anybody even address this issue, but I want to talk about the glory of old age. That's what we want to look at. Yes, the glory of old age. So for, for, for some of you that may be wondering what that's all about, we'll show you how lovely it's supposed to be in Psalm 71. Look at verse number 17. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Now as we spend a little bit of time looking into this, we want you to speak to all of our hearts. We are so appreciative that we're able to honor the elderly. But at the same time, we're grateful for the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that is available. And so, Lord, it is our prayer that verse number 18 would become a reality for all of those that are in their winter years. These things we're praying for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. I I think that... Uh, Every generation misses out on a lot of good things when they don't take the time to spend time with older people. If you ever had grandparents that you loved and respected, then probably you've heard a whole lot of stories from them. And if you've had uh, a mom and a pops that has been important to you, whether they're with you or not, then quite naturally, Uh, the affection you have for them continues. I think there's always something to learn from people that grow older and grow wiser because it is possible to grow older without growing wiser. Some people, even in old age, don't have any more sense than they had when they were younger. But, But it's important to know that the plan of the psalmist here is very clear. Now, all of you may not have learned about God from your youth. I would assume most of you probably have. However, notice the, the, personal, the personal pronoun in all of this. He said, I, I want to declare your wondrous works. That means you have to know something about what God has done. And then you have to have a desire to want to communicate that to other people Because he takes for granted that we're all going to grow older. And every one of us, when we look in the mirror, even though on certain days we may feel like we're younger, we can see we don't look like we did when we were much younger. And so the psalmist here, he's letting God know that even as his hair changes color, he does not want to be forsaken And he wants to live his life until he shows God's strength or God's arm to the next generation. That means every older person who has stories and testimonies, you should be able to communicate those to the generation that's following you. If you love Jesus and he's important to you, then your children and your grandchildren should know the story of how you really got on fire for God or what were the circumstances that that led you into deeper relationship with God. Because if you don't tell that story, then that story goes with you to the grave. And I'm sure the graveyards out here are filled with people that if you were to ask them, how did they come to know the Lord? Somebody would say, well, I don't know, because people very oftentimes don't don't think about it that way. But this is what the psalmist is talking about. He wants to show God's strength and the power to those that are to come. So he's living in the present, but thinking about the future. And he's considering the fact that his testimonies will live on long after he has died. That's what I want you to get. That your testimonies, your stories, what God has done for you should continue in the hearts and minds of other people. 
Don't ever grow weary of telling how the Lord brought you and your husband together or uh, the wonderful things God did for you in the midst of your marriage or how God gave you that miracle child or how God did this or did that. Don't ever grow weary of it and don't stop telling the story, even if other people look like they're tired of hearing it. I can tell you now, I tell stories whether people want to hear them or not. And some testimonies that I share Sometimes the kids will come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, you told that testimony before, but this time you forgot to say this. See, that means they're listening. See, they're paying attention to what is being stated. Now, as a, as a young teenage preacher, I spent all my time with older people. I just, I just always hung out with older saints in the church, well, because they could cook. And then... I hung out with all the older preachers because they were smart. Everywhere I went as a teenage preacher, I was the baby. And that was my nickname. I was always the baby. And and that continued for years. And in learning from them, that helped me to not make the kinds of mistakes that so many other pastors have made. And, and, And I've learned certain things to avoid, certain things to do, certain things not to do. Because you, your, your testimony is, is this strong. You can build your testimony up over a decade or two decades, but you can destroy it in two minutes. Two minutes, you can destroy it. And, and once your testimony falls to the ground, then it's very difficult to be an influence in anybody's life. The scripture says we overcome by the word of our testimony, we understand that. But let's let's never forget that you cannot influence anybody that doesn't respect you. And an elderly person, an older person is someone that we want to honor because that's what the scripture teaches. And whether it's me sitting there listening to someone tell me stories about what it was like for them to be in the military 50 years ago or me asking someone in, in one of the other churches who, who was a nurse or something like that. What was it like when you first went through school? I mean, people's eyes just light up when you start asking them about their past. Tell me what it was like where you were raised and, and all that. When you got your first job or got your first check or something like that, you open up conversations like that. And there's a lot of things that you can learn. And what you learn, you can convey that in talking with, with other people. So in, in, in the Bible times then, when people grew older, you can see that people didn't think about sitting down and doing nothing. They had a plan. They had an objective. In fact, the Bible is all about God using older people to lead the nation. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about how the nation is cursed if kids rule. See? So you, you, you don't need novices. We, we don't need children. And usually when the younger people are in charge, it's an exception to the rule. And there's a, a blessing of God that certainly can be upon, upon them. But in our current society and in our current church, when you grow older, you're cast aside. You're cast aside. And, and everything in my travels is about watching churches cater toward young people, cater towards kids' ministries. And I've told one pastor after another, you, you've got to try to strike the balance in all of this. Because if, if you think that just by throwing out any old choruses and old hymns, that that's going to be the answer, that's not going to be the answer. And the answer is certainly not going to be switching over to all contemporary. That's not going to be the answer. You're going to have to try to find the balance so that people... Different walks of life coming together can be able to worship. I have a, a friend who pastors down in the south, and he's he's got I don't know maybe eight or nine hundred people in this church, and he was telling us one time about how he was trying to get some younger people in his church because he said he looked out in the congregation one day and they all looked like him, and he was old, and so he said he wanted to kind of kind of move it this way in a, in a different direction. And so he said, well, he got rid of a lot of the older ones who were leading the praise and worship and doing the singing, got rid of choir and got one of the younger praise teams and all these different musicians and everything like that. And he said the the the, the praise team came up there and he said it was good because the young people in the congregation that was there, they saw young people up on the platform 
And so, of course, that inspired them to want to do things. Then pretty soon they were playing in church. So they started inviting other young people and the people came out. But of course, you know how, how this this story goes. Young people like music that's loud and, and they like music and with words you can't always understand what they're saying. And so, of course, the older people just stand there and, and they're being blown away by the speaker and their hair is going backwards. And I mean, their body is shaking from the reverberation of everything coming through the speaker. So in, in the end, he, he started losing his older congregation. So here, these were the ones that had been there 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, built the church. These were the ones that had the finances, were faithful in tithing. And now he was stuck with all these younger people who had the life and the energy, but they weren't givers. And they weren't faithful. And, and, and that's where the, the trouble began. Well, as a, as a pastor, we, we need to know that just because you grow older, that doesn't mean that you have to stop your ministry or you have to stop doing ministry. It's just a transition from one season of your life into another area of your life. And God gives you the opportunity to do other things that you didn't have time to do when you were working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Lord's, Lord's provided other, other opportunities. It wasn't until I came here that I, uh, let's say here, I don't mean Hebron, I mean Nebraska. It wasn't until I came out here that I started hearing people in churches that say, well, look, we did our time teaching the youth. And now it's time for the younger people to do that. Now you say they, they, they say that. We, we did our time, almost like it's a jail sentence, you know, it's a, it's a jail sentence or something like that. We, we, we need to understand that God uses anybody that has a heart to do anything. In one church where I was on staff, I was 19, and one of the other adult Sunday school teachers was in his 80s. And he loved to teach. And nobody ever thought about asking him to sit down because he was older. When I was a teenager, our youth director in our church was in her 50s. But the, the contemporary trend is you have to have someone who's young who hasn't lived and doesn't really know anything, who has to try to lead a bunch of other young people who haven't lived and don't know anything. And so all of them are trying to go deeper in God when people haven't had those kind of experiences sometimes. So I think it would be good for us to look at some folks in Scripture who, even though they were older, were still used by God. Let's never forget, Abraham was 75 when God told him to leave. Moses was 80. When God told him to get busy and start delivering the children of Israel. We certainly don't want to forget that Caleb was talking about crushing giants and climbing mountains when he was in his 80s. Yeah. And, and thank the Lord that, that somebody like Sarah was saying, well, yeah, let's have a baby. <laughs> Turn to Genesis 49. Turn to Genesis 49. Okay. In Genesis 49, I want to make a few statements about a gentleman whose name is Jacob. Jacob lived to be about 137 or so. But Genesis 49, look at verse 1. And Jacob called to his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, hearken unto Israel your father. So here's a man that calls his family together and they love him and respect him enough to listen to what he is going to say to them. And Jacob was perceptive enough to know the character of his kids to be able to tell them what their future was going to be like. Now, nobody knows nobody knows the the character of kids like mom and dad because mom and dad pay attention to them. Same thing with you. Your mom and dad knew what you were going to do a lot of times before you ever did it because they did it. They knew the kind of trouble you were going to get in because they got into it. That's how. But but Jacob here, notice that last sentence of verse one that I can tell you what's going to happen in the last days. Here is an elderly gentleman bringing his children together and he's going to bless them and speak to them about the future. 
And when it comes time for you in your life to have children and when you have your grandchildren and when you're around other younger people, you should be able to do the same thing. Open up your mouth and tell them, look, I've lived. Here is what I see for your future if you keep going down this path. That's what Jacob did. Allow your wisdom to be given to the next generation, even if they don't want to hear it. Remember, all of us did not want to sit and listen to our grandparents. I was an exception. I enjoyed going to my grandparents' house and spending the night in all of that kind of a thing. But there are a whole lot of young people that don't want to do that at all. They don't want to go to grandpa's house. They don't want to spend half the, the week with grandma. But as people get older, then we realize mom and dad and grandma and grandpa were smarter than we thought they were. And by the time we turn 50, we think they all were geniuses. Yeah, I've, I've, I've said of, of some elderly people, we should just go out to the gravestone and just carve prophet and prophetess right there on the headstone because they saw what was going to happen before it ever happened. And, and this is how Jacob was. The scripture says in Hebrews 11, he leaned on his staff and worshiped God. Even in old age, he worshiped God. And this man still wanted to bless his children. So when you're holding the children and your grandchildren or whoever, bless them. Yeah, bless them. Let them know they are blessed of God. Here's what God's going to do. Your future, I call it blessed. And I declare that your life is going to be wonderful. You're going to be healthy. The devil may come after you, but you're more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Amen. So this is what Jacob, Jacob did. He blessed his family. And in verse five, where he had some children that he knew weren't the best. He opened up his mouth and he let them know, here's where your weakness is and here's where your flaws are. No sense in lying to him. Here's where the weakness is. And this is what needs to be dealt with. Here's what you need to work on. If you're, if you're going to come into victory, you're going to have to deal with weakness. And if you don't focus on those weaknesses in your life, then your seed is forever going to struggle with your weakness because it'll be continually perpetuated. One generation after the next. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31. And I want us to see something with regard to Moses. Deuteronomy 31, fifth book of the Bible. And I want to begin reading with verse number two. Now here's Moses in Deuteronomy 31, verse two. And he said to them, I am 120 years old this day. Don't you want to be able to say that one day? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm able to say that one day, I at least want to be able to say it and recognize who all of you are. Yeah. I don't want to make that statement and not know where I am okay. or who I am. Yeah. I'm 120 year, years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. So he's talking about his leadership skills. There's been some diminishing in his capabilities. Also, the Lord said to me, you're not going over this Jordan. Now, if you don't know this story, uh, Moses wanted to go into the promised land. God told him no. So Moses kept talking to God about it. I think it's back in Deuteronomy 3 or somewhere. And God told Moses, don't ask me again. I said, you're not going into the promised land. You're not going. Well, in verse 3, the Lord, your God, he'll go before you. He'll destroy the nations from before you and you shall possess them. And Joshua shall go over before you as the Lord has said. Then verse six, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid of them for the Lord your God, for he it is that does go with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Now, here's what I want you to see. He's 120 years old. And in this book, he has been reciting to Israel what God has done for them. Because the Israelites have a tendency to forget what God has done every time they have a crisis. They start murmuring. They start complaining. They forget the last miracle that God did. Moses has to tell them so that they can remember. That's what older people do. They reminisce. <clears throat> they tell stories. They remember when. 
And, and even though people may not want to hear those stories all the time, let's never forget this is how God put it in the pattern of Scripture. One generation passes it down to the next generation that passes it down to the next generation. Abraham had no Bible. So there was oral transmission of the stories. If people didn't talk, nobody could hear. If they didn't hear the story, they couldn't preserve it. And once you didn't preserve it, you no longer had it. So think of how much has been lost in the history of Israel and in the history of the church because somebody didn't write it down or somebody didn't tell it. How many stories of prayers being answered? How many miracles that took place? How many wonderful things took place in the midst of a battle or a crisis or some kind of leadership deal that was dealt with in the wisdom of God? But we don't even have the testimony of it because somebody refused to tell it. Or if they did tell it, somebody didn't tell someone else about it. So Moses is, is giving us this kind of example and a good leader in, in old age, that is the time to be encouraging people. Verse six, be of good courage. See, at, at this point in your life, you don't want to be a discourager. The, the glory of old age is that you have acquired wisdom and experience. So encourage and fortify and strengthen the hands of the weak so that they can do what you were unable to do or do what you did and do it better. That's biblical. Yeah. I don't want to be a discourager. And I don't want to be someone in, in old age just looking back down the hill telling everybody, well, if I were you, I wouldn't even try that. There's some people like that. They, they, they don't want anybody to get out on a limb and try anything. In fact, they don't even want you to climb the tree. They just want you to stay on the ground and just live in fret and doubt and unbelief. But no, an older person is someone that can say, look, I'm looking back down the hill. When I was 22 years of age, this is what I wanted to try to do. But everybody discouraged me and I was afraid to do it, so I never did it. Here I am now, 87, and I wish I would have even made the attempt, even if I would have failed. See? So this is what, this is what we have to understand. Moses lets the children of Israel know God is going to be with you. He won't fail you nor forsake you. So if you're walking with God and God is helping you, you haven't failed anyhow. It's important to know. Let's go to Joshua 23. Moses said that Joshua, it's the next book, Joshua is going to be his successor. Notice Joshua 23. This man, Joshua, was a battle-weary warrior. He conquered every kind of enemy you can think of, 31 kings, 31 different strategies he needed, had the same army to use. He knew what it was like to lose men in battle, but yet this hardened warrior has every kind of story you can think of to tell when sitting around a campfire. And those are the kind of people you want to be around. If you've got to be out in the woods somewhere and you've got to stay up and you want to be entertained, you need someone who's a good story keeper. You need somebody that can tell Real life accounts and testimonies of things that happen and can hold you spellbound. And I guarantee you, a man who's talking about the sun standing still, he can hold your attention. Yeah. So in Joshua 23, look at verse number one. It came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was waxed old and stricken in age. Joshua called for Israel. All Israel and for their elders and the heads and for their judges and for their officers and said to them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord has done uh, for all, against all these nations because of you. For the Lord, your God, it is he that hath fought for you. What, what is he doing? He's doing the same thing he saw and heard Moses do before Moses died. He's telling the story again. Letting Israel know here is the power of God. And this is what the king does. Now, this is what makes a full gospel church so different from so many other kinds of fellowships. Now, if I was Baptist, I'm going to hear one story after another about how to get saved. 
Because, I mean, they're going to witness and preach to a tree if they have to, to lead a tree to salvation. They're going to salvation. They're going to tell everybody you need to be baptized in water. And you're going to hear every kind of story you can think of, of how people are baptized in water. And in certain southern denominations, you're going to hear stories about sanctification. They're going to tell you, oh, how they were able to draw close to God and this happened and that happened. But in full gospel churches, you are definitely going to hear stories and testimonies of powerful salvations, powerful healings, powerful baptisms of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to hear them again and you're going to hear them again and you're going to hear them again because God wants the church to remember what he's capable of doing. If we don't tell of God's power, the next generation won't know. But we have to have a former generation who believes that. Now imagine having a Sadducee as an elder in the church. They were the ones in the New Testament that the Bible says didn't believe in the spirit, didn't believe in the resurrection. Anything like that. So they didn't believe in anything supernatural. Imagine having a pastor who stood up. Sunday after Sunday and told you about how powerful and mighty God was and you trusted and believed. And then right at the end, he'd insert something like this. But when the last apostle died, God stopped doing that. I mean, he just just yanked the, the carpet right out from under your feet. You're trusting and believing that God can save your wayward child. Or God can give you direction because you're trying to go a particular way in life. But then the preacher just told you God doesn't talk anymore. This is why one generation after another, they trusted the leaders, they trusted their elders, and they believed the stories that were told. This is why we have these testimonies. So that you will know that the God that you're serving here in Nebraska is not someone who's good over in Africa, good over in Norway or good over in Indonesia, but not good over here and not great over here. He's great and powerful in Thayer County, just like he is anywhere else. And nothing has changed. God hadn't changed at all. Okay, let's let's go down to to um, let's look at let's look at Samuel. Go to first Samuel and let's go to chapter three. This is when Samuel was a young man. First Samuel three. And in verse 19, it tells us that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. That just means he preserved everything God told him. and He held fast to the teaching. Verse 20 of first Samuel three says they all knew he was established to be a prophet. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh and revealed himself to Samuel. Now, Samuel was a man that walked with God. We know that. But Samuel had an issue. It doesn't go into explaining to us how he raised his kids. But Samuel's sons didn't serve God. They were they were wicked. In fact, it was because of their wickedness that the children of Israel said, we want to be like the other nations and have other kings. Now, I'm not going to blame Samuel because some people will do that and they'll say, well, well, this this man obviously didn't raise his kids the right way. Otherwise, they would all come up in the Lord. No, I'm not going to say that because I've had and known a lot of people, godly people, wonderful people who served God, loved God, were great parents, but they just had goofy kids. I mean, you just can't make decisions for people. I mean, when they when they become adults, they just start doing dumb stuff. And some sometimes people start making bad choices when they're in their teenage years. And you can't always attribute that to a mom and dad. Sometimes you can, but oftentimes you, you don't have to. Well, here, here's the thing. Samuel was able to stand before the children of Israel and say, look, you're asking for a king, but I can tell you one thing. God's my witness. I haven't done anything to offend any of you. And you know I haven't done anything to, to offend any of you. And he had around him a number of prophets that prophesied but this man, Samuel, when he died, the ministry of prophecy that was in him was still in the earth in the people that were around him. So that move of God, that move of the Holy Spirit didn't die when Samuel was put in the ground. That's what I'm getting at. So just because somebody has a ministry and they pass away, that doesn't mean God's done with that particular aspect of the ministry. And we can see that also with a gentleman by the name of Elisha. In 1 Kings 17, he comes on the scene 
and he's called Elisha the Tishbite. <clears throat> and he started prophesying in his ministry somewhere about 885 B.C. or so. And then in the middle of his ministry, God sends him to another gentleman whose name was Elisha, and Elijah cast his mantle upon him. But let's look at 1 Kings 17, verse number 1. And here's what, what it said. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel live before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So he was a man that walked with God, knew the plan of God, knew the will of God. And then he communicated that to the king. Well, later on in, in, in 1 Kings 19, 19, he goes to where Elisha is and he throws this garment on him. And then Elisha spends a decade, see, not a year, a decade or so walking with Elijah. And what was in Elijah, he put it in Elisha. Now, if you ever find anybody in your life that, that really wants your tutelage, and wants to be discipled, and wants to be mentored by you, and is trying to spend a whole lot of time with you, you, you got to be sensitive to, enough to know that, that God may be providing you somebody who's a vessel in whom you're supposed to pour yourself. If they're asking a whole lot of questions, then you should be willing to answer those questions and be a blessing to them. This is what makes old age fun. Because you should be surrounded by people that want to hear what you have to say. And when you find people who are willing to sit there and listen to what you have to say, don't get tired of talking. Keep talking. Yeah. Keep sharing. Keep ministering. Keep pouring that in because people are going to remember that. Now We could go out here in the cemetery uh, right now, and for you that were raised out here and been here a, whole, a long time, we can walk past some of them tombstones there, and, and I can say, okay, here on this headstone is such and such name, who is this? And some of you can tell me, okay, well, this was so-and-so They used to run the garbage route here in town for about 20 years. Somebody else say, okay, this was the one who used to have a grocery store. Then somebody else say, this one was a housewife and, and, and didn't, didn't have a whole lot, but I mean, raised all them kids out there on an acreage, and I mean, hardly had nothing at all, but they had 15, 16 kids. They were out there raising them. But somebody can go by each site and give a history. The only reason somebody can give a history is because they remember. Because they remember. And if you know what this book says, then when people are telling you what God can't do and won't do, you can tell them that's a lie because I can show you what he did do right here. And now I can give you a personal testimony of how God blessed me, preserved me and how God kept me. I love listening to older people tell stories about coming through the dirty 30s. Now, most of them are kind of slowly fading from the scene. I love to hear stories of people I'm talking military folks now because I'm ex-military. I, I like stories of people who can tell me about World War II, the Korean War, who were alive during the Vietnam War. I'm constantly asking questions. What was it like when you came home from the Vietnam War? And they tell me stories about how badly they were treated and people would spit on them in the airport. And here they're walking in their uniform. They'd done what they could to serve their nation. But yet here's an ungrateful people that won't even share with them love. And for a lot of people, when they're talking about that, other memories start coming back. See, I just love to, to hear stories like that, not because I'm wanting to hear bad stuff about our nation, but because I'm wanting to hear them. Well, let them talk about it. Yeah, I want them to talk about it. When I get with older preachers. I say, tell me about what it was like when you started off in ministry, when you started off with a van or with your camper and had your family in full time ministry going from one town to the next, trying to hold revivals. Five days here, two weeks here, three weeks there. I love the stories because it encourages me with regard to what God will do for people who are faithful. Most people, when they get married, they get married and they have nothing. And then over time, God helps them to accumulate a whole lot of things. But in the process of building the marriage and building the life, God's forging character. And a whole lot of 
fun stories come out of that. You know, and I think of Tiff and I, we first got married and we had this old dilapidated bed that sunk down in the middle and we just all kind of rolled to the middle right there. We still laugh at that, but we enjoyed it because we cuddled right there in the middle. <laughs> yeah, we cuddled right in the middle. Yeah. And, and I still remember her dad had, had given her a car and the, the dashboard from the heat down there in Mississippi, the dashboard had warped. So the, the dashboard kind of did like this and curved out. And so it was in, in, the, in, in the passenger side space. And then the heat worked up top, but didn't work on the bottom where your feet were at. So you go out there and get in the car and we, we'd go to driving. And of course, we're, we're sweating up top, but we've got, you know, just about ice bitten down in the legs, you know, trying to drive. Well, you know, we laugh at that kind of stuff. Now, I had a, a blue Corsica when we first got married, and, and if we went through the car wash, or if it was raining and wouldn't stop, then while we were driving, then the water would just start coming leaking down. We, we, we laugh at that now, you see. But you know, the, the thing it, it, it taught us, as we were heading down the road, wherever we were going and praising God as we went, you praise the Lord for what you have. And you're faithful with what God gives you. And then God will in turn give you more. See, yeah, he'll he'll give you more. And if someone pours those kinds of stories into us, makes us better. That's why we never complain about anything that we ever had, because I heard stories of my grandmother. The first of 21 kids make her way north to Cleveland, Ohio. And she slowly but surely brought her siblings up there. She worked as a lady washing clothes and then became a seamstress and eventually brought my mom up out of Alabama and my auntie and them out of Alabama. And one by one, she got all of them up there. And, and, and even to the, to the time that she died, my, my great aunts and all of them, they still treated my grandmother like she was their mother because of how she raised them and the doors that she opened for them. And we were grateful. I mean, you know, 21 kids. My great-great-grandmother passed away in her 50s. I mean, she was pregnant all the time. Just passed away. I said to my mom, I said, when, when all of the, the kids were being born, I said, you were down on the plantation there in Bessemer, Alabama. How, how in the world were all these kids born? And, and nobody knew what was going on. They said, Grandma would go in that back room. She'd be pregnant. And uh, they're only lonely little three room house, bedroom, kitchen, and then a place where everybody could sit around. Everybody had to go outside for an outhouse. So they said, Grandma, I'll go back there in that room. They knew she was pregnant. Then she'd come back out hours later and she'd have a baby, tie the baby to her head right out to the cotton fields when the sun came up. Worked with everybody else. There was no six week maternity leave. No, it just went right back to work. See, that's all it was. With, with those kinds of stories then being deposited in my heart and life as I'm being raised, it keeps you from complaining about some things. Yeah. Cause you just say, praise God for what the Lord has done. Okay. So let's go down to Psalm 78 and let's look at this again with a little more detail. And I will show you why whenever we have church anniversaries, why I often tell the story of how Tiffany and I came here and how the churches began. And Psalm 78 is the reason. Psalm 78, beginning with verse one. Give ear, O my people, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable and I'll utter some mysterious or dark sayings of old which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So notice, these stories go way back. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So notice that. If, if we don't tell the stories according to the psalmist, we're hiding something. So we need to be as revealing as we can. I should know to some degree or another your story if I'm fellowshipping with you. I mean, I, I, I've got a basic uh, outline in my head of how Randy came to know the Lord, which was quite miraculous because God had to use all kind of people in different kind of circumstances to get him. 
into the kingdom of God. And some of you others that are in here, I've asked you before, what what was it that led you to the Lord? How is it that God puts you on the path where you really got serious with the king? I'm not talking about just being raised in church. I mean, just really, really turning to God with your whole heart. Some of those stories I know. Some of those stories I tell when I'm traveling. And sometimes when I go back to a certain place, they'll ask me, well, well, how, how is that guy Garth doing? That, that you, I hear you talking about sometimes. What about John? See, they, they, they hear the stories or they go to the website. They hear John on the website also. Well, here's the thing. If if you don't tell the story, then you're hiding something. And we, we shouldn't be ashamed of this. We should not be ashamed of what God has done in our life, how he powerfully saved us. If he delivered you from alcohol, people should know he delivered you from alcohol because that testimony will reach somebody else. If he brought you out of some other substance abuse, that'll reach somebody else. If you lived a pure, chaste, pure uh, life, then people need to hear that because folks need to know it's possible to go from the cradle to marriage and still be pure. Because we live in a world where you don't hear a lot of stories like that. You don't hear testimonies like that too often. So verse four, excuse me, verse five, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Here's why, that the generation to come might know them, even the the children which should be born. We're telling stories for kids who aren't even here yet. Kids who aren't even born yet, if the Lord tarries and the rapture doesn't take place, there'll be people telling my stories and people telling your stories. Because if I ask you, how did your family come to the heartland? Some of you can probably tell me of the covered wagons coming from back east. I just told you about my folks coming out of the south. My siblings and my my nieces and nephews don't even know that story hardly, but I know it all because I'm constantly asking Yeah. It's important to transmit this because the the, the kingdom of God cannot be perpetuated unless God has people he can rule and reign over. So verse verse number six, that the children to come might know children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. And verse seven, that they might have hope in God and not forget the works of God. If we want people to be hopeful, we got to give them reasons to find hope in God. Yeah, this 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 is it. This is it. These these stories are important. Imagine trying to do anything for God and you don't have anyone ahead of you that can tell you how they made it. That'd be tough. Yeah. Now, now Noah didn't have anybody tell him how to do an ark. So it's possible to get it done. But he had God speaking to him. You, you have to have trailblazers, plural. You can't just have one. I mean, the trailblazer gets out there with a machete. He's cutting a path uh, through through the wooded area so other people that can come behind can follow through. But eventually that trailblazer passes away and moves from the scene. There's got to be somebody else to pick it back up and start cutting again. People know about Jackie Robinson. First guy that was black to play in uh, baseball, but they forget about Larry Doby, the second one. See? So the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth become just as important as the first because everybody else who's coming behind can't come behind unless everybody serves. So there had to be somebody out here to be the first Christian in this region. Somebody had to come out here and preach the gospel and lead folks to Christ. And in the midst of burying babies and burying spouses and having bad harvests and crop failure and going bankrupt, there were still people that had a relationship with God and said, we're staying here, we're still not leaving Ruskin. And they stayed. And they said, we're staying here, we're not leaving Deschler. And they stayed. And the testimony of Christ continues to this day. Okay, I got to pick up the pace here. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, at least got to show you a lady in the middle of all of this. There's a woman by the name of Anna, and she was a lady of great age, but loved the king. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 36, it said, There was Anna, a prophetess 
the daughter of Phanuel. Now, this lady was a prophetess when Jesus was born. Okay, because if anybody in here struggles with a lady prophesying or a lady talking about the Bible, you need to know that in Jesus early age, when he was an infant, he was hailed by a woman preacher. Okay. Luke 2.36. She was of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about four score and four years. That's 84. I don't know if that means she was 84 years of age or 84 years she's been a widow. But I know she's an older lady, but she didn't depart from the temple, but serve God with fastings and prayers night and day. Here she is in old age fasting. Most older people don't think about giving themselves to fasting and prayer. You say, why not? Because very often our doctors have us so medicated. Yeah. Yeah. I had a visit with a lady one time. She was in her 80s. She took 18 pills at breakfast time. 18 pills. You know how many glasses of water that is? That's that's a lot of water. When you eat, or excuse me, when you drink that much water, take that many pills, you don't have an appetite. So what happened? You're taking the medicine, but you're not getting a lot of nourishment because you don't have an appetite. So slowly but surely, you lose weight. You waste away. You end up dead. Not because you had any kind of illness, very often because somebody was malnourished. And, and I told the lady, I said, we, we need to pray and, and see how, how, how this can get cut in half or something. You know, because there's no way you can keep up this pace. 18 pills for breakfast. Not, that's not even counting what you've got to take at night. But 18 pills for breakfast, 10 days, 180 pills. Keep doing the multiplication. 20 Days, 360, we just keep going. And so every month, all of that going in, who has time to fast and who wants to pray? Because you're, you're just kind of out of it all the time. But the glory of old age should be that we're praying, God, I want to give my time at this point in my life to you in greater service. Father, heal me, help me to recover in my health so that I can spend more time in prayer. If you don't pray like that, you'll never know what God will do. And we're not opposed uh, to, to, to medicine at all, at all. As many times I've been admitted to a, to a hospital, I'm simply saying that as we get older, let's believe that God can do for us then what he did for the children of Israel as they were going into the promised land. And he said there wasn't a feeble one among them. And God kept them strong. Okay, let me say something else here. So, uh, verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. So even in her old age, she was still praising God and grateful to God for the Savior. And this is what we want to see with our older people, to have that kind of joy in their relationship with the king, that with every day, they're happy to experience salvation. I'll quickly give you just a couple of other ministries that that you can have because you don't ever need to feel like you have been set down and God can't use you. You know, you can pick the phone up and call people that God puts on your heart. Telephone call means a whole lot. You pick the phone up, call somebody, say, look, I just wanted to call, let you know I was thinking about you. Or the Lord had this verse on my heart, and I just wanted to share that with you. I do that plenty of times when I'm driving down the road. I try to make the best, best use I can of when I have a long drive, and I'm driving between the churches, and I'm on the highway. I'll call people, and I'll start the conversation just like this. I'm on the road, don't have a whole lot of time to talk, but wanted to call, let you know I was thinking about you and praying for you. So what did I just say? I'm not about to talk for an hour and a half. But I do want you to know I'm thinking about you and praying for you. Sometimes when I've called people, I hit it right at the right moment when God has laid them on my heart and and they pick the phone up and go to crying. So now it is going to be a long conversation. Yeah. And I'm just going to just minister to them the way that, that I should. But even with gray hair, you can have a ministry this strong. 
You can call people and check on people and be a blessing and encouragement to people. Here's something else. Visit folks. Yeah, you can visit people that that are shut in. I I had a, a lady at a wedding the other day. She was 97 years of age, just a, just two months shy of her 98th birthday. And here she comes uh, walking into the church and her 70 year old daughters are all on a walker behind her. Yeah, she's in better health than they were. And, and so I said, well, what, what do you do during the day? Well, she said, you know, I still live out on the farm. I said, on the farm. At 97, he's still out on the farm. Who lives with you? I'm by myself. I said, well, what do you do? I cut the grass and everything else that needs to be, be done. And, and then, you know, I go and check on them. Now, my mom, she's 85, and Tiffany talks to her sometimes, and, and my mom loves to cook. So she would make big meals for the church anniversary and stuff, stuff for two or 300 people. And stuff. And Tiff will call her sometimes and say, what did you do today? Oh, she said, I just made, made a couple of dinners and took them out to some old people. My mother's 85. So she said she took them to the old people. Because even though my mom's 85, if you saw her and saw her moving around, she looks like she's 60. Yeah, she really does. Well, even, even in old age, if, if you have your health, you can praise the Lord and still visit people. Sometimes the folks in the nursing home be glad to see you, especially when you might know a whole lot of them that are in there anyhow. Yeah. Some people feel led to go to a prison sometimes and do ministry. I got a good friend of mine there in their 70s. He and his wife, they spend a lot of time in county jails and local prisons. I say, why, why do you do that? They say, we just felt like since they're in there and nobody's coming to visit them, we'll come in there and bring them the gospel. I said, how long have you been doing that? Forty years. See, 40 years. You can bless a whole lot of people. Here's something else that's important. Invite people to your house for a meal or for coffee. Just fellowship, you know, just sit around and talk. Or in some cases, tea. See, just fellowship. Have a, have a good time. And of course, if, if you're older and you're inviting people over there to the house to, to fellowship around the food and everything like that, don't forget the pastor. Yeah, don't, don't, don't forget the pastor. Yeah, preachers have put a lot of chickens in the ministry. You understand that? We put a lot of chickens in the ministry. They go right into that oven and in the pot when the pastor's coming by. But if, if you know of people who are unbelievers and are lonely at, you know, the holiday time, don't know God, invite them over. You say, well, pastor, they'll come in. And I mean, they're bringing all kinds of spirits and bad language and all of that. Well, look, I mean, the point of the gospel is to reach them. Jesus went to the homes of sinners. And he sat right there with them and had meals with them. And everybody said, look at him palling around with the sinners. Yeah, he is palling around with them, but he's being the influence on them. They're not influencing him. And these are ministries that are important for uh, any local church and certainly any individual Christian. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to have a boring life. You can kick the devil in the teeth every day you wake up in the morning if you want to be involved with the kingdom business. Yeah, it can be done. So let's, let's make our latter years glorious and strong and pray, prayerful. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for every man, woman that's in here right now, Lord, that uh, you would somehow uh, cause them, permit them, lead them to show your strength and power to their generation and to their seed. And somehow, God, let the stories circulate within the family. However it has to happen, at a Thanksgiving meal or just sitting around with people fishing. Lord, just let it happen in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.